Hi, everyone. How are you all? You're good? I've been thinking about that question, not just because of my topic today, but um, just in general, how do you usually answer that question? How are you? Thank you. All right, good. Depends who it is. Yeah, I was thinking about it just because I'm, believe it or not, melancholy by nature. And always deep things going on within. But my answer is, yeah, good, thanks. Usually in that tone. Yeah, good, thanks. But I've realised that how we're really going when we ask that to ourselves, I don't know about you, but for me, it's always about how I am emotionally. Circumstances could be great. But if emotionally I'm not doing great, I'm not great. Circumstances can be really crap. Sorry, I'm blowing. But if I'm centred on the inside, it actually doesn't matter. Have you noticed that? It's amazing what you can put up with if you're okay on the inside. Um, So what I want to look at today is just understanding emotional health. It's a topic that I really felt stirred about, um, not really knowing details of what's going on in people's lives here, but wanted to touch this with and for you guys, knowing that this is a topic that is hitting our culture at large and our churches at large um, with what they're calling a pandemic, not an epidemic, a pandemic. A pandemic is an epidemic of epidemics when it comes to the state of humanity's minds. Whether or not you're in church or out of the church or looking for faith, it just seems to be the air that we breathe that we are struggling with this centeredness. I want you to give yourself a score out of 10, just to yourself, around how are you? 10 out of 10 being really good, where you're fascinated by hay fever and the flowers and the picket fences. Zero being, it was, it's really hard to be motivated. It's really hard to get out of bed. It's really hard to make plans and face the next day. What would you, you grade yourself? This topic is huge. Um, we actually did an eight-week series on this at our church because it warrants that amount of time to look at it. So I'm only going to give you one little topic. Um, to me, it's one of the most important um, because what it is, and I've called it understanding for a good reason, because I want it to understand And what I want to look at today as we unpack this is um, this guy. It's pretty ugly, if you ask me. But it's very fascinating. And the reason I want to look at it is because what science is discovering is matching what the Bible has been teaching, which matches um, and challenges the trends that we find ourselves in today. If you are uh, 9 to 17 years of age, hands up if you are, there's a few of you. (laughs) <laughs> the grey-headed man put his hand up. Um, bless you. Thank you. Uh, you're living with a level of anxiety or apprehension that if you had... Do I know how... Is there a way? Am I doing something wrong? Am I annoying you that I'm like, oh, you're okay? You're hearing my, my inspiration? Good. No, um, so the average, being normal, 9 to 17-year-old, is living with a level of anxiety or apprehension if they had in 1957, they'd be admitted to hospital. I'm going to repeat that. The average, the norm, 9 to 17-year-old, is living with a level of anxiety or apprehension. If they had in 1957, they would be admitted to hospital. There's a whole range of reasons why that is the case. Um, But one of my main arguments, there's many, it's not clear-cut, but you can't avoid the fact that more society has turned its back on God the more we've actually lost what it means to be human. And that is affecting us on the soul. So anxiety and depression, of which I've danced with both, 
is the soul with a massive alarm bell saying something is desperately wrong. And so today, what I want to do, the good news is, is that we actually have more ability and power to stand on top of this than it has to stand on top of us. And so I just want to equip you both scripturally but also with science about how this works and how the two intersect. And what I want to do is have a look at this fascinating organ. Have we got any medicos in the room? Doctors, nurses, scientists, pathologists? We do. This is fascinating. I just used to think it was like a blob of baked bean stuff, kind of. And it kind of is. But it's very fascinating. This is obviously the brain. The reason I want to look at the mind and the brain is that we've grown up in a Greek understanding of knowledge. And that is you've got a, you've got a mind, you've got a heart, you've got a soul, you've got a body, and you're made up with all these different compartments. That's the Greek understanding. But the Hebrew understanding from which all that has flourished in our culture comes from a Judeo-Christian worldview, says that you don't have a soul, you are a soul. And that all those things are uniquely intertwined and bound together as a whole. And so I actually want to take this topic and look at it from the concept of the mind. Now, neuroscientists are all unanimous, they are unanimous, that the mind is not the brain. It's important you know that. The mind exists outside the brain, but the brain is the vessel that translates it that expresses it um, and helps us understand. So in having a look at this a little bit, I want to narrow down on this bit in the middle. Anyone know what this bit in the middle is called? This bit is the limbic system and this bit is the place where your fight or your flight or your adrenaline or your emotional memories or that irrational response that you have no idea why you're feeling the way you are despite circumstances around you are kicking in and sending out hormones all around you to create action and behavior um, and attitude and the limbic system is the place where you're uh, is the seat really of your emotions there's a bunch of stuff in there i'm not a neuroscientist by the way so don't think I'm more smart than I am. I'm not. I failed at chemistry, terribly bad at chemistry, but I love the human anatomy. I love the human body. I love how we are fearfully and wonderfully made, and the more you look at it, the more amazing you realise who we are is incredible, is a miracle in and of itself. But the limbic system is the place where your emotional life develops and happens. It's where your emotional memories are stored so if ever you have, you know when you smell something and it reminds you of something, it goes through the limbic system, goes through there. Whether you are having a fight or you're anxious about tomorrow, it's sitting in the limbic system. It's where you are stimulated to act and behave. It sits in there. And the most fascinating one I want to look at today is this teeny tiny little almond-shaped thing that's about here in your mind. You have two. You have one on each side and it's called the amygdala. Anyone heard of this amygdala? Amygdala is the emotional centre of the brain. And I think it's very tiny compared to how my emotions feel. <laughs> it's super tiny. It is the size of an almond. You have two, one on each side of the brain. And your emotional responses come through here first. The primary spot that it's going to hit, remind you of, or spark, will happen in the amygdala. That will then create action and behaviour and all the things that follow an emotional response. But what is fascinating with the amygdala is that it processes your emotions, it creates a response, it's where anxiety sits, it's also where peace sits, it's where fear sits, it's also where love sits. That we have this contradictory nature within ourselves and it's this tiny little uh, almond-shaped little organ within the limbic system that does that. 
Now, it's powerful, as I've said. There's a thing called an amygdala hijack. This is a very apt descriptor. An amygdala hijack is when you have an overreaction to a situation that circumstantially shouldn't warrant that. Anyone known anything like that? Anyone prone to overreacting? I'll be the only honest person in the room. When I was 16 years old, I did not get along with my family. There was four of them, they were all super tight, and then there was me. I was the middle child, I'm not sure if that had anything to do with it, but nonetheless, we did not get along. When I was 16, it was four against one, we were fighting, we were arguing, and in a moment of just rage, they, I responded to them because they called me Sarah, which happens to be my name. And I turned around to them, this is my amygdala being hijacked, and I put my hands on my hips and I said, don't call me Sarah. And I turned around, slammed the door, went to my room. And as I went to my room, I went, that was weird. I had this moment of clarity to what was actually going on, because it's my name, they're calling me that. That is an amygdala hijack. When something you're experiencing so strong within your being overrides what is actually circumstantially actually okay. Our amygdala has been hijacked in this day and age. And the responses in which we're experiencing here, I feel it here on my sternum, I'm not sure where you feel it, and the relationship between the gut and the brain is fascinating, um, is all very strong and all very real. But someone has stolen our amygdala. And we're not in control of it anymore. But my whole point in this message is that you have got more power over what is happening than you realise. And for those who suffer anxiety or know people who suffer anxiety, the first step in helping to beat anxiety is actually to realise that you're not powerless, that it's not over you, you can actually be over it. So I want to take you on a bit of a tour of the brain and how it works and then match that with what the Bible actually teaches us. The cortex of the brain is this part here. Put your hand on your head and go, this part here. This is where your thinking happens. You know when you're thinking really hard? You feel it here, right? Where do we get most headaches? Here, because we're thinking and we're trying to come up with something. And we think that we are operating from this brain primarily. Most people think that they're rational beings. But they've discovered that the most rational beings are still driven by the emotional limbic system. The cortex is made up of all these hundreds of thousands actually 100 billion neurons. Is anyone bored at this stage? I, I think science is fascinating. Let me just explore some science with you. 100 billion neurons are in the cortex of your brain alone. And the neurons are the electric impulses that process thought, emotion to action, store knowledge, and literally store your memories along the stem of them. So these are the things that drive you. There are 400 billion actions occurring per second in your brain. Say that, 400 billion. 400 billion per second, only 2,000 of them are conscious. So there's a bunch of stuff going on in you right now, subconscious and conscious. As you're listening to what I'm saying, it's activating memories and recall. You're trying to remember what I'm saying, that it's 400 billion actions per second. There are things that are going on in you. Your heart is beating. You're not in control of that. Your kidneys are also processing um, and creating that wonderful substance called urine. Your bowels are also producing the substance. And these neurons actually are what are responsible to transfer information so that I can do this or I can do this, so that you can process thought, 
so that you can train yourself to do something, so you can untrain yourself to do something. And it's this world of the neurons that is the most fascinating. This is a zoomed-in picture. They have, they're kind of made of branches, and you've got billions and billions of them. As I said before, there's 400 billion actions per second, so you can imagine the density of what's in your brain in one sort of sliver of your mind. But this is a zoomed-in level. If this was a piece of hair, it would be zoomed in uh, 200,000 times. So they are tiny. Your brain is made up of 20% neurons and the rest of the 80% are cells that support the neurons. So neurons are incredibly important when it comes to your mind. The long stem that you see on the right, that's um, a dendrite. This is where I have to read my notes because I'm not a neurologist. The long line is the axon and the cell that you see at the bottom, like the brightest spark, is um, the nucleus. And that is where all your DNA is stored. You're not as excited as I was hoping. That is where all your DNA is stored. In wow. every single neuron that you have, all your DNA is in there. The seeds for what is your life. I have a gum tree at the moment that I'm nearly half grown to its full size. And I was looking at it this morning and I was like, wow. The fullness of that tree was in the seed that was planted. That when a seed is planted, the fullness of what that tree will become is already in there. The fullness of who you're designed to be, how you are called and designed to function, how it is you to think, the gifts and the contribution that you have to people around you are within every single neuron that you have. And your brain is full of 100 billion of them. And so what happens is that memories grow on these neurons, the dendrites grow and become like branches like a tree, and the memories from the womb, they say, I don't know how they know this, I'm just repeating what I've learned, inside the nucleus of that uh, dendrite, of that um, neuron, and that then groups into proteins which create structures that are needed in response to a signal that they receive, and they grow depending on the signal they receive. They grow depending on the signal they receive. For good or for bad, your neurons grow depending on the signal they receive. So I'm going to take you on a bit of a tour because that can of baked beans is not attractive. And a neuroscientist who was also an artist was upset at the image the brain was getting in the world. And he decided to create art based on what's happening electronically through your brain right now. So what is happening, this here is the cortex, so this part here, is that you've got these neurons which are all up the front, at the top there, sorry. Those dendrites go down to the limbic system, so the limbic system is charging and deciding what happens to those neurons up the top. And that is how beautiful your cortex is. Your thinking, your stimulation, your action. This here is the, uh, the brainstem and the cerebellum. It's sort of where your basic body functions happen, your motor functions, your movement. And this is why they call the brain is like a forest of trees. Can you see all those trees in there? This is this part of the brain. It's also the part where you get creativity and uh, inspiration. Anyone been staring at a piece of paper, desperate to try and land something and make something happen and, <clears throat> and it doesn't happen? And then you're driving in the car and it's like, bingo. Because our ideas and our inspiration come here. They don't come here. And so when we're trying to be creative, it doesn't work. But when you're about to fall asleep, it comes. 
This here is the uh, thalamus and the basal ganglia. I find this one funny. Anyone feel like their emotional world is like a hose that's just gone haywire? <laughs> this is the basal ganglia, and this turns your thoughts and emotions into action. I feel this is very apt. And then this is the whole organ. Psalm 139, which is a poem, talks about how we're fearfully and wonderfully made. And this brain is given everything that it needs for life and for flourishing. 400 billion actions per second, only 2,000 of them are conscious. And so what happens as you're thinking, and as you're thinking right now, as you're learning something new, if you have a look at the image on the left, that happens within a second of you learning something new. New dendrites start to form. Ah, I'm learning new facts. I'm learning new statistics. I'm meeting a new person. Who is this person? Hmm, she's got curly hair. Is it curly? Is it wavy? I'm not sure. And you start to get this, what they call, like a little bit of a trickle of a neural pathway. If we were to explore this topic for, say, over eight weeks, and you would get to know even more around the sociology of anxiety and depression and the um, biology of the brain and even the theology of how God has wired us, that little trickle would turn into a pathway. That pathway would then become a road. And that road would then become what they call a superhighway. And a superhighway is where that pathway has become so strong that your default will be to go down that pathway. Now, this isn't just like a nice little image to show you to help us understand. This is literally what happens in your mind. These neurons form, they multiply and they develop. And you might have heard the saying, you may not have, but it's a helpful saying. Neurons that are fire together, wire together. What that means is when you're participating in something, if it's learning to drive, for example, then the things or the stimuli that you're experiencing at that time, those neurons start to intertwine. So it also means if that you have a circumstance that creates anxiety, the next time you have that same circumstance, what's going to happen? Anxiety. So neurons that are wired together, fire together, and the association happens. That means if I was bullied by someone who was tall with dark hair when I was in high school, if at 25 I'm walking down the street and I see someone tall with dark hair, what happens? I'm reminded of that. And these are the subconscious associations that our brain is making all the time. Now, what I find most fascinating, and this wasn't a Christian neurologist who found this, there's a non-Christian neurologist who won a Nobel Peace Prize because they proved that every cell, every neuron, every dendrite, every function, every atom in the brain is wired for optimism. We are neurologically, scientifically designed to be hopeful, to have hope, and to have a good life. 100%. Won a Nobel Peace Prize. She was able to prove that. I'd be fascinated to read the study. And a neuroscientist, uh, he's also a quantum physicist, called Caroline Leaf, which really I'm just ripping off her stuff, by the way, so feel free to look her up if you want to know more, actually argues that the brain, because of this optimism bias, is wired for love. Every single aspect of your human brain, the three pounds of organs sitting in your head, is wired for love the highest and best 
emotion. When I read about this, I was fascinated. I'm like, really? Because I can be negative. No. At its baseline, when you are born into the world, it is wired for optimism. The neuroscientist was able to prove that negativity and fear is conditioned. It's conditioned into us by the world that we live in. Our family experiences, our education, our things we see with our eyes and different things actually end up shaping what, what pathway is developed and what response is created because of that. So not one cell is geared for negative thought, not one nerve, not one enzyme, not one microcell in your brain is wired for anything but good. Scientific fact. And Caroline Leaf, who is this neuroscientist, who um, is incredibly passionate about this, and if you just Google some of her stuff, I've got a slide at the end of this to show you, she actually goes, what is incredible about what is happening is that science is catching up with the Bible when it comes to understanding the human condition, but also the human brain. There are over 300 passages, passages of verses in the Bible, that actually speak about the power of our thinking when it comes to shaping our actions and our feelings. We might know some, for those who are familiar with the Bible, so out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, um, to think about whatever is good, whatever is honourable, meditate on things like that. Do not be anxious about anything. And alongside this, they found that 75 to 98% of illness is related to the thought life. 75 to 98% of illness is related to the thought life. I uh, suffered chronic fatigue for seven years and I then did a three-day course on the brain and neuroplasticity and how the brain can change and it can change instantly because that's how the neurons are wired. And this stuff became my reality. And I realised in hindsight that I just didn't get a virus that then made me really sick. No, I was super stressed. And when you're stressed, the hormone cortisol goes through your body. When the hormone cortisol goes through your body, the brain, which is designed to protect you, goes, oh, crap, Sarah's stressed. Why is she stressed? I'm not sure. There's so much adrenaline and cortisol. I don't know what to do. Oh, I need to make her rest to protect her. Rest, Sarah, rest. It's actually what happens. Oh, Sarah's sick. Why is she so sick? Hmm, I'm not sure. Maybe it's the Australian diet. I'm going to create an intolerance to the Australian diet to keep her safe. So all of a sudden, I couldn't eat food. Well, very little food, because my body was literally designing an allergy to stop me from eating it. And within three days of training my brain and reminding it, resetting it to its original design and purpose, I ate all food and I put on three kilos. Three kilos, I'm not that excited about, but I'd prefer to feast in the land of the living than to, to not. 75 to 98%. The remaining 25 to 2%, and I know that's a broad window, but it's, it's the generalised view, is based on your environment, your diet, what you put on your skin, and your medication. In other words, you have more control over your well-being than anything else in the created order. You have the ability to actually stand on top of your emotional being and not be overwhelmed by it. So I want to come back to this little guy, this little almond here, the emotional centre. 
Because if the whole entire brain, which has been proven, is created or is designed for optimism and designed for what is good and what Caroline Leaf then says for love, scientifically, they have also found out that guess what the primary response of the amygdala is? Fear. Designed for love, but its primary response is fear. Something has hijacked our amygdala. The Bible talks about this a lot. The Bible talks about how um, we were created in, for glory and for abundance, and yet instead we exchanged it for lies. 85% of what you think is self-negative. I am not. I'm not good enough, I'm not beautiful enough, I'm not funny enough, I'm not smart enough, I am not, I am not, I am not. And there you go in the negative superhighway of that neural pathway, which then dictates what you perceive and how you respond and how you relate. But as I said, there are 300 Bible passages that talk about how our thinking shapes our actions and our lives. I want to just show you a few. Oops, is that, are we okay, Ant? You might have to. Ecclesiastes, which is a book on wisdom, amazing book, says that God says, I created them to flourish, but they have each turned to follow their own downward path. I created the mind for love and optimism and goodness and flourishing so that your neural pathways are this beautiful slipstream of goodness and life. That is what you're designed for. That's what I've got for you. But for some reason, because something has been hijacked from us, instead we've gone down a downward path. I've had burnout before, prone to the stress illness. And what physiologically happens to you when you have burnout is that those signals, the synapses between the neurons, which means they communicate to each other, stop firing. It's not just I'm a bit depressed, I'm a bit tired, I need some rest. No, your brain has stopped functioning. That the more you go down lies or down negativity or down a downward path opposite to what you're created for, the more your healthy neurons fade away and die. That can happen in a week. And the more the darkness takes over, they can scientifically prove. And not only is this spoken about scientifically, but the Bible, which is God's word to us, speaks about this. You might have known or heard of, if you haven't, Romans 12 talks about, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Part one, part two. But be transformed by what? Do not go down the downward path. You have a choice every day what you do with that set of circumstances and what you do with that person in the mirror. Don't conform to what the world is saying. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So what they have realised, and I wish I had a video to show you, but I'm not technically savvy. This is what happens in day one to seven. A negative thought is there and is live and is screaming for attention and is a strong superhighway in your life. And what they say to do, if you've got a bad, toxic, negative thought, they say it'll take you 21 days, this happens to your brain, literally, physically, to admit that you have a negative thought, to admit it. 
And then it takes another two cycles of 21 days, so another 42 days to beat it. And so there you have how it works. That day one to seven, it's there, but by day 21, it's not as strong. This is why this stuff actually, you can't have an app for it and you can't just push a button. It actually requires what? Your mind. It actually requires conscious thought and an active stance to want to change our brain. But the same is true for good thoughts. That from day one to seven, look at that. And potentially as of today, you might have some hope and some optimism because why? You just found out the entirety of your brain is wired for it. And then as you think about this message as the days go by, it starts to grow, it starts to grow, it starts to grow. And within 62 days, the forest of trees in your brain can look completely different to what they do now. It's not something I just talk about, something that I live and something that has drastically changed my life. And so what I want to do in closing is just give you a couple of tips. If you don't act on this message that I'm giving, in fact, if you don't act on any message you hear within 48 hours, guess what? Gone. The neuron that's there going, water me, water me, water me, goes, okay. And so I just want to give you a couple of things practically to go through to help you um, with this stuff that I'm teaching you. The first one is, is to gather your thoughts and consciously think about them. And what I mean by that is reflect on what you're thinking about. Don't just think, but actually think about what you're thinking about. Is it positive or is it negative? What are the scripts that you're telling yourself about yourself? What are the scripts that you're telling yourself about the world? Are they positive? Or are they negative? The next one, and all this requires work, I'm sorry, but it's the way the brain works. Focused reflection. The brain develops based on whatever you focus on. I showed you the neurons in the neocortex at the start. Do you know what they've discovered is happening to our brains since the introduction of social media and screens and TV and stuff? Our neurons are fading and our brain is literally changing because of our lifestyle. Amusement actually means not to have to think. And by not thinking, our brain is starting to turn off. They find that emotionally resilient people have 30% more density of neurons than emotionally unstable people or people who struggle to be resilient or get through life. And so the things that I'm giving you here are actually antidotes to those things happening. Focused reflection. There's a great passage in Philippians, which is a letter uh, to people about life and how to live life. It says, so keep your thoughts continually fixed on all that is authentic and real and honourable and admirable and beautiful <laughs> and respectful, pure and holy, merciful and kind. In other words, what is optimistic? Why? Because that's what your brain's created for. And fasten your thoughts on every glorious work of God, praising him always. Every time a negative thought goes into your body, cortisol goes through your brain. And every time cortisol goes through your brain, those synapses forget to communicate to each other. And the longer that goes on, the more anxious we become because the amygdala is hijacked and charged to have a response that it's not created to have. And our rational mind isn't able to quiet because it has lost the pathways to bring back peace and to bring back perspective 
and to bring back critical thinking and objectivity. Number three, write. Write it down. Writing uh, is proven to strengthen your memory. When you get a pen on a piece of paper, <laughs> remember those? And you write, you're actually strengthening those pathways of whatever it is you're writing about. So strengthen your memory, build up those highways again and write. Um, they have also discovered that if you type um, on a phone or on a keyboard, you use a completely different part of the brain to if you handwrite. This is why our brains are changing because we don't, and I'm not anti-technology or anything like that, I'm just trying to go, isn't the brain fascinating? And could there be a relationship with the surge in technology and a surge in the anxiety that we're experiencing as a culture? And could it be that technology, which doesn't have a soul, cannot meet the human condition for love and for meaning and for belonging? And the very things that we're desperate to get and find and know are the very things that we're turning our back on as we follow the myth and the lie and conform to the world that's all about progress. Fourth, after writing, you get to revisit. At this stage, in steps one to four, your brain releases a chemical that is ready to kill the negative pathways. It's not just a theory, that's a neurological fact. How amazing is the brain? Do I hear, yes, Sarah, it's very amazing. Otherwise, I'll have to talk with way more passion and take way more facts. Seriously, steps one to four, scientifically, produces a chemical that goes out into your brain that goes, I'm ready to kill the negative. Say it louder, Mick. It's absolutely stunning. This is brilliant. This means that if you struggle with dark stuff and if you feel like your soul or your brain is like this, do these four steps in the next few days and you'll start to turn the tide. It's that simple. I know it's more complex. But when it comes to changing the physiology of your brain, this is where we're at. And then finally, reach. Steps one to four create uh, the chemicals to attack. And to reach means to practice using optimism. Practice using something that is healthy. And practice doing the good until it becomes automatic. And I'll be the first to say, sometimes you've got to fake it till you make it. Remember, this takes 60, 21 times 3, 63 days. 21 days to admit it. And another two cycles of 21 days to beat it. But incorporating these steps, neuroscientists have proven our brain physically changes, which then changes our emotional responses, our emotional outlook, therefore our actions, therefore our behaviour and our whole life changes. And I'll tell you why this is important as I, as I come to a close. This is so important because you are designed and you are wired to flourish. Your brain is designed to have 400 billion healthy trees that tap into the DNA in which you're created to have, that has within you the seeds of all that you're designed for and all that you can be. And what's so amazing about it is that as of today, you can start having that tree. As you put one foot in front of the other and get it. But the other thing, and the other reason as I lose my doobie, that this is important, 
is that the more you look at the brain and quantum physicists say that, or well, Caroline Lee, who is a quantum physicist, says, do you know, you can't get to the level of quantum physics, which is the most, m most minute part of science, which studies energy and metaphysics and the way in which meaning and design and science all works together and not have a belief in a designer. 100% of quantum physicists believe there is a God. Brilliant. Say it again. Brilliant. Yeah, brilliant. <laughs> Optimism. Love it, Nick. Because it's incredible. And you are not created to have fear. You're created to have a spirit of power, of love, and a what? And a sound mind. But I also know if you do steps one to five, it's not enough. The cultural tide is too strong against us. My own fallen nature is too strong against us. But what is incredible is that this designer decided to come with the human brain and show us how to live. Show us to have his mind, not the mind of the world. As we come to celebrate Easter, what he does is when the Bible talks about we had this glory of God and we, we exchanged it for lies, his death re-exchanges it back. And he goes, let me give you back the glory. Let me give you back the life you were created for. Let me give you my mind because your mind isn't strong enough. And so his heart is to actually be and do and live everything you're not able to. And so the bigger part of my message is, yep, you can do steps one to five, but it's still going to be an uphill battle. But if you do steps one to five with the living creator guiding you and filling you with his thoughts and his heart and his mind and his truth, you have an incredibly hopeful future and you can bring incredible hope and future to those who are literally dying without it. I'd love to close in prayer for you. Father, we want to come before you in awe of your creation and in awe of who you are. We honour you as um, the creator God and when we've just looked at the brain, um, Father, we are in awe of your creation. But I want to thank you more than the brain. You are fascinated by and enthralled by every person that is in this room. I want to thank you for your heart and your, your mind of compassion towards each person. That you know how they're really going. You know what's going on inside and you know the lies that have been spoken to them and the lives that they have unwittingly believed and the lies that are trying to trap them up and wrap them like a net around their feet. And I want to speak against nets. I want to speak against nets over hearts and nets over minds. I want to ask and pray that you as the creator God would actually bring freedom. And I want to pray, Holy Spirit, as the great revealer, would come and do a work of encouragement, of hope, of love and care and tenderness amongst your children this afternoon. Meet every single person where they're at, I pray. In the power of your wonderful name. Amen. Unless we reflect on this, this is going to be lost. And so what we're going to do is just have a minute's um, reflection. Start to gather your thoughts. Don't vet them. Just gather them. Are they positive? Are they negative? Are they both? And Holy Spirit, I just release you to do what only you can do and minister to those places. And then when Daniel calls it time, he'll come and lead us into communion.